Hirarastami ki jai, Gaur Bhaktabrinda ki jai, Gaur Premanande. So we gathered on the auspicious occasion of Parastami. Welcome, everyone. And we spoke last night to some extent about Sri Radha and about the nature of Leela and the Leela narratives and how we can take advantage of them, appreciate them, and and in the context of that, we recited the narrative of of Gayatri, Gayatri Basirupo. So, as it's mentioned, Bhagavatam is a commentary on the Gayatri mantra beginning, ending, and in the middle, of course, the, the, the word dimahi, central to the, the Gayatri, prototype of all mantras, is invoked. Hmm? And so we heard of Gayatri's um, position as a gopi hmm? and of the subsequent after her marriage to Brahma, a manifestation of what's called Kam Gayatri, which is the fullest reach then of the Brahma Gayatri, and is uh, central to the entirety of the uh, uh, center, central to the center of the Braj Lila, corresponding with the fifth note on the scale of uh, Indian Raga, Pa, hmm? Pa Panchama, fifth. Nard presides over this note. Nard, of course, is the uh, uh, author of the Bhakti Sutras that Rupa Goswami drew from hmm, in coming up with his own definition of Bhakti. Um, his definition or defining verse is that verse out of which the entirety of his tome, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, expands. Nard's verse is Anyabit. I'm sorry, that's Rupa's verse. Nard's verse is Sarvo Padivanir Muktam, Tat Paratvena Nirmalam, Rishikena Rishikesha Sevaram, Bhakti Ruchate. And drawing on this verse, Rupa fashioned his own and developed the idea a little bit from Nard's sutras. Hmm? Anyabilashita sunyam gyan karmadi anabritam anukulena krishnanu shivanam bhakti rutam. So, the definition of utam bhakti, and I'm not going to go into that at, at, at length here, but suffice to say that as Narad presides, the presiding deity over the fifth note, and Sri Rupa is taken from Narad to develop his, his uh, definition and Unfolding an explanation of of the significance of bhakti, the nature of bhakti, its furthest reach, and so on and so forth. Hmm. That comes to Radha Dasyam. Hmm. 
the service of Radha. This is what Gaudiya Vaishnavism is centered on as a lineage. Uh, there are various lineages of uh, following the Vedanta, schools of Vedanta. And they have practices, they have an underlying foundation, a philosophical foundation, and they lead to a particular attainment. They're different, hmm? differentiated by their uh, attainment and, of course, the corresponding approach. Different approach, different attainment. It's all a transcendental attainment, hmm? but varied nonetheless. So the, the ideal of the Gaudiya lineage is centered on uh, attainment of Braj Bhakti and connection with the service of Sri Radha. Hmm? Primarily in really in, in two forms, but primarily in one, in direct service as a handmaiden of Radha. And this is the position of Sri Rupa, Rupa Goswami. Hmm? Again, the author of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and its sequel, Ujjwal Nilmani, and very important books to the Gaudias. These books, as I mentioned last night, and all of the other books of Gaudiya Acharyas that, that are together what we call a... a, a Bhakti Shastra are all derived from the Bhagavat, Srimad Bhagavatam, that the uh, Vrindavan Goswamis see, the Bhagavat that is, as the central hub around which all the sacred texts revolve and are understood in relation to. And this is brought out very nicely in uh, Shijiva Goswami's Tattva Sandarbha. The central position of Bhagavat, the afterthought, or rather the, the mature reflection on all that he had written, and that under the um, tutelage of Nard, Vyas that is, all that he had written, under the tutelage of Nard, his guru, he wrote the Bhagavat. It's a longhand explanation of the shorthand um, that constitutes the first form in human society of theology or making sense out of revelation in the form of the sutras, which are like um, what would you, what, what codes or you call them aphorisms or, or notes on yellow paper or something like that, <laughs> scratching it out and then, then, then playing it out, drawing it out. This is what he's done. In his final word, in his maturity, samadhi nanusmaratad bhicheshtitam, he was told by Nard, you are mature, enter into samadhi. And, and do justice to what you have written by showing what all of it really is pointing to in no uncertain terms. This is Srimad Bhagavatam, and a careful study of that brings us, as I say, to the to the service of Radha. It is, after all, the Bhagavad Purana, but its other name is Srimad Bhagavatam. We don't find the Sri Mad Kurma Purana, the Sri Mad Brahma Purana, the Sri Mad Shiva Purana. They're all the Shiva Purana, Brahma Purana, this Purana, Kurma Purana, that Purana, and then Bhagavad Purana, but it has a second name, and that second name is also found in the other Puranas, that do glorify it in so many ways, hmm? pointing to its central uh, position. And that other name is Srimad Bhagavatam. The Bhagavat means God, and the God of the book, of course, is Krishna. And Sri means beautiful, 
Hmm? And she means Radha, next to whom Krishna is more beautiful than than otherwise. Hmm? So, drawing on the Bhagavatam in terms of its being a commentary on a Gayatri, last, last night, anyway, we explained the... Uh, the uh, Gaudiya understanding of, of Gayatri and uh, how the Brahma Gayatri turned into, at least from the little narrative, into the Kam Gayatri. Mm-hmm. Kam means desire, but Kam Gayatri, Gayatri, Gonatrayate, it means a song of deliverance, and it's a, it's a song of deliverance from Kama, and Kama means desire. Mm-hmm. It, it means really material desire, uh, often it's equated with or translated as, as lust. Hmm? The kind of reflection, if you will, of love, which is in a reflection, everything's turned around backwards. Hmm? So it is, it is a, it is a, the Bhagavatam is a central piece. The Rasalila is also nicknamed Kamvijay, victory over Kam, hmm? in a very comprehensive way. Hmm? Because the, the mundane Cupid, you may know that according to the sacred lore, Shiva was absorbed in meditation, mm-hmm. dressed as he is in ashes. He had something to attain, no thing, so to speak, but uh, something. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that thing called consciousness that's not a thing, that's hard to talk about, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's nothing to compare it to in the world, and we define things by way of comparing them to other things. It's not like anything, but he was interested in this. So he's naked, he's dressed in ashes only, he's not interested in any things. He's interested in what be, what himself, that lies beyond things and thought. Hmm? And in his meditation, someone that has very much to do with, with things and little to do with thought, called calm, or Cupid, hmm? he has much to do with things and little to do with thought, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> he came to distract Cupid, or excuse me, Shiva, from his meditation hmm? with his arrows, right? He's, uh, I know he's, in Europe he's depicted like that with arrows, I believe in, in Indian. Uh, yeah, flower arrows. It's interesting that the, uh, the two both depict him as such. Of course, much of East of Western thought comes from from Greece, and Greece is not that far from India. And there is, as we know, uh, there was a prominent uh, connection between the Greeks and the and the uh, and the Hindus, and that Neoplatonism is is basically Advaita Vedanta. It was popular at one time. So, Cupid came to distract Shiva, and of course he was not uh, about to be distracted, but he did become angry. Hmm? And so he opened his eyes, having had his meditation broken, and he burned the body of Cupid. Hmm? Since then, Cupid has been called Ananga. Ananga means body. Ananga means without a body. He became, the point is, more dangerous now. Hmm? 
<laughs> now he's invisible. He's, he's still there. <laughs> you can kill the body, but not the soul. <laughs> so the soul of Cupid hmm, lives on. Hmm? And uh, he's a very dangerous uh, fellow, potentially very distracting. Hmm? Causes not to think very very well, not to be well thought out. Hmm? And, uh, of course, the point here is, with regard to Shiva, that um, his efforts to stave off the influence of desire and so forth hmm, were not comprehensive. Hmm? Hmm. Because Cupid lived on. Maybe he didn't live on in the life of Shiva himself, but he lives on nonetheless. Hmm? Whereas, Krishna's lila is quite different than that of Lord Shiva, indeed. He's found in the central piece of the Bhagavatam, Ras Panchajai, the five chapters of his, which constitute the consummation of his, uh, uh, a love affair that's been building up for a number of 28 chapters in the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam. And, uh, uh, so at this point, he, he plays his flute, the fifth note. Hmm? Kam Gayatri, the gopis hear that and they leave everything. Hmm? They had very good reason not to leave anything. Family responsibilities, milk boiling on the stove, in some cases babies crying and so forth. They just left it all. They had a thousand and eight reasons not to leave, but they didn't listen to one of them. Hmm? If we get one reason not to come to the temple, we'll take it. <laughs> That's the difference. <laughs> they went. Hmm? They heard the flute. The flute, they heard their names. Each one, they went. And neither one waited to see if anybody else was going to go. Either. There was no... Would it, shall I, if anybody else was going, we would have strength in number. It's not like that. But when they arrived, all of them, then they found a good group. Right? of persons of the same character, high character, to hear the call of the Absolute, the clarion call, the flute sound of Krishna, and go hmm? without any hesitation. Hmm? And there, of course, he tested their um, resolve, and on the grounds, on the basis of karma and jnana, or religious sensibilities, in an ordinary sense, and on spiritual sensibilities in terms of knowledge of the atma, he reasoned with them why they shouldn't be there in the dead of the night. Hmm? He gave good reasons from, from dharma and jnana, hmm? from karma and jnana. But they uh, responded in such a way as to defeat all of his uh, suggestions as to why they should not be there hmm? and showed themselves to be that they had the bhakti uncovered by, by jnana and, and karma. Anukulena krishnanushilanam bhaktirutam uttam bhakti. And so the setting is one that is a no-brainer for Cupid. When Cupid approached Shiva, well, that, you know, it's a hard sell there to distract this guy from meditation and so forth. But Krishna's in the autumn harvest moonlight of the full moon. Hmm? 
very auspicious uh, time in the forest, in the middle of the night, and surrounded by beautiful milk maidens. So like Cupid think, why even bother to go there? I mean, it's already, you know, it's already done, <laughs> so to speak. But, of course, he did go. But the, the Leela is nicknamed, as I say, Kambijai, because, as it turns out, Krishna was defe- Cupid was defeated hmm, by way of what has been celebrated as the he who has been celebrated as the transcendental Cupid, Madan Mohan. Hmm? Madan is a name for Cupid. Mohan means who bewilders. So who bewilders Cupid in the way in which Cupid likes to bewilder us and make us not think very deeply, hmm? do something rash. Um, Krishna, hmm? Pushpabanaya Dhimahi, hmm? he has his arrows, hmm? his arrows of uh, uh, Pushpa flower arrows, and he's called Pushpabanaya, it's another name for Govinda. Hmm? So anyway, he defeats Cupid, Cupid becomes powerless. Hmm? and uh, loses his own capacity to to think and act in the presence of the of the modern Mohan, uh, who is being called the bewilderer of, of Cupid, the transcendental Cupid, hmm? who uh, whose love affair hmm? has the power to do away with Cupid's influence. In a sense, something like if we were to compare Shiva's efforts to digging a big hole and throwing all of our desires in it and then covering it up. Hmm? Compare that to putting all your desires in a hole, covering it up and building a temple on top of it and doing kirtan, something like that. It'll never come up again. Nothing will ever come up from that hole. Hmm? We could throw our desires in there, which are like bamboo. They grow very fast. Hmm? Throw them in there and somehow they find a way to start shooting up again. Hmm? By if, if we try to ignore them or by the strength of knowledge alone, we say, desire is a problem. Desire in relation to mundane objects is, is a problem. Hmm? It's the womb from which suffering is born. I'm attached to them and I can't keep them and they don't turn out to be uh, when fulfilled all that they, I thought they would be. It was not good, clear thinking on my part. Hmm? Um, so to think that out and decide, I will give up desire. I will sit and look at a white wall for eight hours a day. This is a questionable practice <laughs> from our perspective. Uh, Shiva exemplifies the fact that this is not only difficult, but there's many examples in the Bhagavatam that the results of such will not be um, forthcoming. The desired result, Subhari Muni, was, a, uh, Muni was, uh, is another prominent example. He was fasting and meditating underwater. Pretty good feat. Mm-hmm. I met a guy the other day, and um, he had written a book, he told me, and his book was about 
water meditation. Hmm? And he had invented something where you can sit in the water and meditate. And the picture on his book was was with a lady on one side and a man on the other. Her heels were on his shoulders and vice versa. And they were laying on this thing, quote-unquote, meditating in the water. <laughs> the idea being, in his mind, that meditation meant to be completely relaxed. Hmm? Uh, just lying, just lying there, no effort. And Well, Subari was underwater meditating. <laughs> That would not be too relaxing, but this is the state that which meditation is supposed to bring you into. Hmm? Right? It's a it's a reversal, if you will, of our energy that's spent, by and large, in pursuit of sense objects and a, and a, and a, which results in a life that seems dependent upon those objects. So our being is dependent upon having and defined by our having what we have is what we are. Hmm? Our desires define us. Our sense of my defines our sense of I. Hmm? So this is material life. So meditation is about reversing that. Hmm? Because that identity is as, well, here today and gone tomorrow as the things that we think are ours, which time shows us, as, uh, time ain't again, that uh, they are not ours. We don't own anything. And an I derived from a sense of false proprietorship is a false I. So it's not something we can rely upon. And so meditation is for finding the I. It's for uh, uh, reversing this and turning the energy uh, spent hmm, towards or projected towards sense objects hmm, turning that inward. Hmm? And so, you can live underwater. Hmm? You have a, the implication is of the story in the Bible, the implication is that you can have a life beyond um, a, a, a sense of life derived from having. So again, the sense of being that is derived from having is very, very meager. Hmm? Hmm? Yeah. To be, to have, what is his name? There's a psychologist some time ago who wrote the book. Uh, I can't remember. To be, to have. I had to be, to have, or to love. Hmm? Fromm, Eric Fromm. To be or to have. Hmm? He looked at it from a psychological uh, point of view, made some good points, but from a metaphysical point of view, I'm speaking, to be, to have, or to love. So Shiva was about being, hmm? and the karma mark is about having. Subhari Muni was about being. Hmm? And so we can be or exist in a more substantial sense by foregoing the having or the taking, hmm? the acquiring, the pursuit, the acquisition of things. Hmm? But he was being underwater, and this, that's the implication. He existed without things. But nonetheless, he got distracted by the um, intercourse of a couple of fish. So the point is, the point is that um, this is a very 
Maitunya Bhavam is very powerful. Anyway, Striyo means woman, man, the combination, Maitunya Bhavam. It's very powerful. It's uh, Maitreya Bhav means like to be like. It means like to be under the like the old-fashioned ball and chain they put the criminals <laughs> under, something like that. It's very the binding force, the attraction. Hmm? It's, uh, it, it it makes the world obviously in one sense go around. It keeps it going, and they say, well, if everybody meditates, then what? If everybody's just a meditator and a monk, then what? <laughs> There'll be no more people. The world. What a loss, we would say. <laughs> After all, as the Bible says, if you gain the whole world but lose your Atma, then you've gained nothing. And, and don't worry, it won't go away. Hmm? Hmm? Even the meditators have a difficulty with it. And the Subari Muni is the example. So, so he became, he lost his focus. Hmm? Something like that. It's another example of the interplay of Cupid not even directly attacking him, but indirectly, and he saw and became distracted from his meditative life. And the story goes on and so forth. But there are many stories like this in the Bhagavatam to illustrate the point. Hmm? But as I said, to be, to have, or to love. So to love hmm, is, is to be and to have hmm, also. Hmm? There's some having in being, in, in, in loving. You have to have another, for example. Uh, to be without having is to be alone. Hmm? But to be in the context of loving is to have a significant other and a number of uh, uh, considerable uh, variety, if you will, that, uh, that um, uh, is uh, part of love. As we heard in, with regard to the, the Bhagavat, Rasalila last night. Hmm. There's one Krishna, but there are many Radhas. Hmm. So all the gopis in the Nityalila, they are all expansions of Radha. Hmm. And for Rasa, in order for Rasa to be full and reach its height, it requires many. Hmm. So Krishna is the center, and Radha expands herself. Every emotional, nuanced aspect of her being is personified as another gopi, another gopi, and then this one, when it's appropriate, the best thing for pleasing Krishna's senses, that gopi is sent. And Radha will take her there. You go, you go, no, you go. And when no one else can fully satisfy him, then she presents herself and so forth. So many Radhas. Hmm? And in every devotee, there is a little Radha. Hmm? She is Bhakti Devi. So in Rasalila, then, Kam is defeated. Hmm? Uh, being and having are harmonized by, by loving. Hmm? If we simply try to have, we won't be. If we simply try to be, we won't have. Hmm? But that might sound good, not having and just being, but it's not, it doesn't speak to our... It says that our human condition doesn't tell us much about what we are. Hmm? Because our human condition dictates to us by our everyday experience that we want to be and have. And we want to love also. 
So in order to be without having uh, and be unto itself without loving, well then, just to exist, um, as I often say, what's better, more desirable, to love to exist or to exist to love? Hmm? Bhakti, of course, is the latter idea. Hmm? And so if you take karma or taking, acquiring, and jnana, knowledge or renunciation, they're like two tributaries that have their beginning in the Himalayas, but they're not powerful enough to reach the Bay of Bengal unto themselves. But if somehow they manage to connect with the flow of the Ganges, then, then they'll, they'll arrive there hmm? and have meaning and be beautiful. Hmm? That means the Ganges in this example is bhakti. Hmm? She will reach the Bay of Bengal and within her, karma and jnana, that under themselves really are the two sides of the coin that material life is all about because we seek to have and then we seek to get rid of what we have. Hmm? We call it boga and tiag. Hmm? I, I want to acquire and I want to you know, give it up because it's not what it turned out to be. So we just go back and forth between these two, the, the two tracks, if you will, on which material life runs. Hmm? Bhakti comes in the middle, as we heard last night. Kam Gaitra is personified as a, as a, as a, as a cow lady. Hmm? She had no time for Brahma's marriage proposal. Here's a simple village cow lady who was approached by the gods with an opportunity to become the consort of Brahma. What an exalted position. And she rather impertinently said, oh, he's too old and too ugly. Hmm? And he doesn't know anything about religion. Hmm? He sits and does these these yagyas, boring. Sometimes he meditates. Hmm? Hmm? She said, spiritual life is about service. It's about love. And love, if you love someone, you serve them. Hmm? And I've got no time for that because I've got a milk and then I've got too, too many things with the milk. And then I've got to clean up the cow, and then I've got to milk again, and I've got to do something with the milk. It's, if you live here, you get the idea. There's never any time, <laughs> any spare time. Hmm? It's a 24-7. It's a, it's a meditation on the cow. It'll give you some experience of what eternity is. Hmm? It just keeps going, keeps coming. It's milking, preparing the milk, cleaning up after the cow. Taking. It's beautiful. So she was fully engaged. Hmm? Fully engaged in in service. Love is about service. Spiritual life is about service. It's not some magical disappearing, becoming invisible, walking through walls. Some a very simple thing. Convert the enjoying and exploiting, taking ego into a serving ego, and that is best accomplished when we can find the perfect object to repose our serving propensity in. That is the idea of Krishna. Hmm? So, calm is conquered, in other words, uh, material desire by spiritual desire. Hmm? I had read that it was, it's now a popular idea that there's a Gayatri called the calm Gayatri. It's the Gayatri of desire. If you chant it, you can have all your desires fulfilled. Hmm? Meaning of the mantra is quite, quite the opposite, as I said. It's called, the, it's calm Vijay. It's ending all desires by way of promoting healthy transcendental desires. Atmendriya priti vancha tore nam bole. So, atmendriya priti vancha. 
That is called Kam. Atmindriya Priti Vanchi Vancha Vancha. Tore Bolek Kam Nam Kam. So Atmindriya, the in this sense it means body. The pleasure of the body, which means the senses, it's constituted of, that is called calm. And Krishnendriya Priti Icha. Hmm? This is called Prem. The difference between calm and Prem. They look similar. Hmm? Because I can be fully operative with my senses, cooking, shopping, <laughs> gardening, um, singing, dancing, all these things. But all for the pleasure of the senses of Krishna. And this, of course, is what Radha is the personification of. She is the full face of service that sacrifice is but a rudimentary form of. Hmm? Love is born out of sac- from the womb of sacrifice. And when it grows up, it doesn't look like what it's like when it's born. It's similar, but it's, it, 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 it's, 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 it's different. Hmm? Like the difference between night and, uh, well, not that different. Uh, the difference between calm and prema is like the difference between night and day. But sacrifice is something that it, it requires some effort. We do it because we're supposed to do it hmm? with forethought and calculation. It's the right thing to do. And though it may not even play out, apparently, to be in my immediate sensual and material interest, Still, it's the right thing to do. Hmm? I'll do it. This is Ramlila. Hmm? Mariada. Hmm? Very noble. Krishna Lila looks quite different. Hmm? I don't know, is it noble or what's going on there? Huh? But this is the love, example of the love that's born, as I say, from the womb of sacrifice. You look a little different in the womb than you do when you're fully grown up. Hmm? And so the full face of love, this is the, the and, and although it may not look like it on the surface, if we look underneath, we see Radha's romantic encounters and love and passion for Krishna is all arising entirely out of a serving ego. There is no even interest on her part in the bliss that comes from the service, but she accepts the bliss because she knows Krishna will be pleased if she's blissful. So, for that reason, so, all right, I'll be blissful. Something like that. So, it is a serving ego that we find in the centerpiece of the Bhagavatam to the extreme, and Radha personifies it. So, we discussed some of these things. We're going over it and elaborating it, and bringing up some other points of interest. Hopefully, to our uh, to our esteemed guests. <clears throat> but the point I'm making is that that the Goswami's books are all derived from the Bhagavatam, the Granthraj. Hmm? Um, uh, Rupa Goswami's books, Jiva Goswami's books. And so they're all really kind of developing and bringing out what's found there. Hmm? These 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 points. It is called Srimad Bhagavatam. Srimad refers to Radha, who Krishna becomes more beautiful next to, so to speak. And so we need now to perhaps have some discussion 
as to what is the need for a Radha, because we know there's a need for God, or at least some people have a need for God. I guess it would be thought like that from the psychologist. If you have a need for it, it's okay, but <laughs> but it's not that, that he really exists or she really exists. Of course, we differ um, uh, from that perspective and for good reason. And so we often argue for the necessity for God, an ontological, metaphysical... Uh, I mean, life is metaphysical. It's not a popular word in philosophy today, but but life is, you can't get away from the fact that life is more than the physical. People try to make it only the physical. Hmm? But in doing so, they, they more or less deny what actual life is really all about. Hmm? It's all in the subjective realm, deciding what's good or bad. <laughs> That's not physical. Hmm? The whole realm of morality is not physical, for example. Are we going to be good humans or bad humans? Hmm? Suddenly, you've automatically, without thinking about it, stepped into the metaphysical, beyond the physical. Hmm? And that's where we live, really. So to try to reduce all that somehow to the physical is very um, strained and uh, um, artificial. Hmm? So, from our metaphysical point of view, then there must be a God. But then why a Radha? That is a good question. Hmm? Why a Krishna? Okay, but why a Radha? Hmm? So, uh, Sri Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, Mahashai, the great uh, Gaudiya author of Chaitanya Charitamrita, hmm? coming about just a half a generation from the original uh, founders of the lineage, the Goswamis of Vrindavan, he has uh, given us our arguably most important, excuse me, most important text, Chaitanya, Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. From the Gaudiya point of view, these ideas that there's a difference between the body and the self, that consciousness is different than the brain, it's, it's a very boring. Um, <laughs> this book is about which is a, they're obviously, obviously they're very it's a, it's a very contemporary and interesting topic. It's about what I am, what am I? It's not going to go away too soon. It's, it's not an old theory of uh, you know uh, subject for of old books. It's a current topic, and it will be forever. What am I? Why am I? What is consciousness? and so forth. So, this book is entitled Sri Chaitanya Charit Amrita. The Chaitanya means consciousness, and Charit means character. Amrit means Amrit, immortal. And it's often um, translated as, as nectar, like the fountain of youth, if you had found it and drunk the nectar, and, uh, and thereby become immortal. It's interesting that the, that the Europeans were looking for the fountain of youth, isn't it? And they came to the, the Americas, I believe. I think they thought it was in Costa Rica or something like that. <laughs> they were right. <laughs> it said Madhuvan. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, the idea is, 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 is there also. Drinking the nectar of the gods, so to speak, uh, and, uh, and becoming immortal. In the in Eastern thought, um, so Chi Chaitanya Charit Amrita, 
It means the immortal nectar character or the conscious, the, the character of consciousness, the nectarian, nectarian nature of character of consciousness in immortality. It's, it's not speaking about that consciousness is different from the body, neti, neti, neti. It's a famous Upanishadic aphorism. Not this, not that. Not this, not that. Hmm? I'm not this, I'm not that. I'm not this, I'm not that. This and the that is all the things. American, Indian, woman, man, black, white. I'm not this, I'm not that. Hmm? I am. Okay. I am. But that doesn't say much. I'm not this, I'm not that. The implication is, I am, but I'm not this or that. I am, but what I am, then we're lost. As I said, we don't... Unlike all things that are here today and gone tomorrow, we're observing the fact that things are here today and gone tomorrow. So we're not like them, and we can't be defined very well in relation to them other than by saying we're not like them. But that's not a very positive definition. It's a very negative definition. It's okay. It's, a, it's kind of a what we might call a, a tatastalakshan of consciousness. But what is it? Swaruplakshan. Lakshana means characteristic. Tatasta means it's marginal characteristic. I can define a thing by saying it's not this, it's not that, to an extent. Hmm? But what is its swarup lakshan? Its actual positive content and primary characteristic. What is it? Hmm? That's what this book is about. The potential of consciousness, its character in immortality. It's all about after all that stuff. Hmm? If Rupa Goswami says, you know, vairagya and jnana, these two go together. Vairagya means detachment, and jnana means knowledge. So if you have knowledge, then in a real sense of the term, then you don't become attached to things that don't endure. That's a recipe for disappointment. Hmm? And knowledge is something by which, that I should say, by which action is informed, and all of our actions are in pursuit of happiness, fulfillment. Hmm? So, if we understand that actions in relation to things that don't endure as a recipe for suffering, then detachment is corresponds is the corresponding action, if you will, with knowledge. Do nothing. Avoid things. Close your eyes. Hmm? Go to a quiet place. You don't hear anything that you might be distracted by and so on and so forth. Hmm? But Rupa Goswami says, knowledge and detachment, you know, these things are not angas of bhakti. They're not limbs of bhakti. They might be a little useful in the beginning. They have a little knowledge and a little detachment be a little useful. Hmm? So as I say, we do emphasize it to some extent because we're not in the same culture of Rupa Goswami when he wrote the book Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and it was, and it was common theme. Hmm? amongst all the talking heads of the time hmm? and uh, the media and whatnot uh, of centuries past. In other words, it was the world view that you're not the body. Hmm? Uh, I had heard a discussion between a a Christian, uh, British Christian theologian uh, being interviewed about consciousness. And the interviewer said that so many things, you know, I mean, right, in times gone by, 
we used to think of consciousness or, you know, as we used to think of a soul and kind of consciousness kind of in relation to that. But so many things we've learned since, since then that we didn't know and, and so on. So how can you, you know, keep this old idea when so many new ideas have come that have shown that ideas of the past are, you know, weren't worth, uh, weren't correct or something like that. And he responded, yeah, many things have changed. We've learned a lot of things, but we haven't learned very much about consciousness at all. It was a good reply. Hmm? The next interview was, I watched these sometime, but sometime back, was with um, Professor, what is his name, John Searle at Berkeley, hmm? Philosophy of Mind. And he's a materialist, of course, and so his, he, he, he was asked about demonstrating, you know, in due course, that consciousness is really just a function of the brain, and, and there's nothing but the physical. And he said, I think, we, you know, give us a little time. We're, we're getting close to that. And so the interviewer says, well, you know, what, what do you think? He said, well, at the speed of science, the way it's going today, I'd say a thousand years. Hmm? And I had to chuckle because science is moving at a very rapid pace, obviously, uh, compared to at the time of the scientific revolution and its birth and so forth. And he still thought he needed about a thousand years, you know, to be able to, <laughs> to demonstrate this. So, um, so you know, we haven't learned too much about consciousness, and these books are very much about that and its prospect and so forth. And it picks up where this basic idea leaves off. Is it material? Or is it, is it ontologically different from the natural and physical world and so forth? So the immortal, nectar-like, ecstatic character of consciousness in, 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 in immortality. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a lofty text, a deep text, mm-hmm. plumbing very deeply the, the, the oceanic depths of the prospect of consciousness, the prospect of our own selves as a unit of consciousness in the subjective world. Now we're living as a unit of consciousness in relation to the subjective world and defining ourselves in relation to the things that we're attached to and so forth and, and losing sight of the fact that the whole life is really about the subjective <laughs> realm, as I said, all the values and whatnot, meaning all, all from there. So, so yoga is for moving into the direction of the subjective world. And this is a yoga, bhakti yoga, that comes from deep within that world. Hmm? The means of Chaitanya Dev is this namsan kirtan. This is the method to his madness, his ummada, his ecstasy. Hmm? Hmm? His ecstasy is the maranaki mahabhav, that uh, mahabhav swarupani, that's ultimately... Krishna trying to experience the ecstasy of Radha. Hmm? And he is, of course, successful in the end. Hmm? So the means to this madness is, is Namsan Kirtan, the chanting of uh, the, the holy name of Krishna. And it's said to be exported from Golok. Goloker Pramodhan Hari Namsan Kirtan. To hear. Hmm? So it, the method comes from there. In other words, we have a spiritual method to attain a spiritual goal. That makes sense. Hmm? Anything short of a holy spiritual method that purports to deliver a spiritual result 
should be questionable. Hmm? We're not relying upon our physical prowess, neither on our intellectual prowess. This is a transrational practice. It's something that picks up, if you will, where reason leaves off and takes us beyond the limits of reason, which is kind of the upper rim of material existence. Hmm? So, from there to here. And in um, his book, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, he is drawing the teachings hmm, that are in this book from the deepest regions of that uh, ecstatic realm of Krishna Lila, the Braja Lila, hmm, the love and intimacy, where love takes a form and a shape that it looks so so different from that which it's born from, the womb of sacrifice, that it almost looks like Krishna and Radha, and they're like, they're like hmm, what's that? It doesn't look like, I mean, sacrifice is so noble and uh, high when someone gives up the lower for the higher cause and takes difficulty to do so. Hmm? Uh, think not what you, your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. This kind of thing. Whoa, we are inspired like sacrifice, yes. And it's visible that, uh, that something's been given up and it requires some pain and so But Krishna Lila is just full of enjoyment. Hmm? Yes, gopis are giving up their families, but <laughs> for what? <laughs> for unmentionable things. It would, it would appear on, on the surface. But love is of such a nature that it tends to hide itself. If you want to understand the Bhagavad, you have to study it very carefully, every day. What's underneath this? It looks like one thing. It looks like calm. But it's actually preem. And this preem has born, in a sense, from the womb of sacrifice. But now it's grown up. So it has a different form and it's playing itself out and it looks like calm. But if we look underneath, we find it's all about serving the satisfying the senses of Krishna. So deep within this realm, in his effort to define or explain who is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Krishna Daskaviraj Goswami has written his book. And he says something to us, verse I want to speak from, that... Uh, Gives us a reason for Radha, if you will, if you need one. Hmm? <laughs> kind of gives us a reason. He says, Radha Krishna Pranay Vikritiladini Shakti Rasmad. Now you'll go on from there, but these are, this is the first line of the verse that's pertinent to our discussion. Radha Krishna Pranay Vikritiladini Shakti Rasmad. Ekatmano Vapi Bhuipure Deham Vedogatoto. Chaitanya Kyam Prakatam. Explaining that Krishna is one, hmm? eternally. Hmm? But Krishna becomes two, eternally, as Radha and Krishna. And the two again become one, as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who accepts or is imbued with the, the, the complexion of Radha, although he's Krishna, Hmm? 
who is dark in complexion, golden complexion. Hmm? Radha bhava duty, her emotion bhava and her duty, her, 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 her heart and her hue. Hmm? He accepts. Radha bhava duty subalitam nomi Krishna sarupam. So it's a very uh, strong statement. It actually comes from Sarup Damodar's uh, diet uh, diary. Uh, he was the uh, secretary of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's no longer available hmm, uh, in written form. It, it, uh, uh, but um, but this verse is drawn from there. Hmm? And the first line, as I say, is is really relevant to our discussion. It's beautiful that we, of course, and appropriate that we speak about Radha in the context of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, by which we can know all these things, through whom, I should say, we can know all these things, know something about them, and be encouraged to to know about them by doing what's necessary to go there. So Radha Krishna Pranay. Radha Krishna Pranay Vikriti Ladini Shaktarasmad. It says that Radha, Krishna is one, but his love transforms into the person of Radha, hmm? who is the embodiment of his Ladini Shakti, his, uh, the, the, the power of, 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 of love and ecstasy. What does this mean to us? It means something, it's a, it's a doctrine of Shakti. It's a, really, the Godi is a very much, as I mentioned this morning in our reading, Nana Tantaridhanena. In Kali Yuga, it is said about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Bhagavatam that the main text will come from the Tantra. This is a very feminine side of the of the texts. You got the Veda; it's very masculine. God is there, Bhagwan, and the Tantra is feminine. All the left and right hand Tantra, all the Shakti. So all of our procedures. Our mantras, our procedures in the ritualist realm of ritual and worship, so it would all come from the Tantra. Hmm? And from Gotamiya Tantra, we read, Brihad Gotamiya Tantra this morning, definition of Radha, different names of Radha, and so forth. Hmm? So it's a doctrine that's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to note, because in Bengal you have the prominent religious groups are the Shaktas and the Bhaktas. Hmm? And they're in kind of a feud of, of sorts. But from our point of view, we are super shaktas. In other words, the shaktas in an ordinary sense are the worshippers of Durga, Kali. And um, they worship four material things and four liberation. And the bhaktas, they worship Krishna for, 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 for bhakti. But in our bhakti, of course, Chaitanya bhakti, then the bhakti of Radha is the exemplar, the example for us. And she is the shakti tattva, and we are the followers of, of Radha. So it's kind of a super shakti doctrine. Hmm? Um, but anyway, shakti is the emphasis. So what is the idea? Of course, it's rooted in the, in the Upanishads. We have the idea, the statement, I should say, from Sri Tashvatara, Prasya Shakti Brahman is possessed of Shaktis. Hmm? And from the Taitareya Bali, uh, Ananda Bali, the chapter about Ananda, ecstasy, the famous statement, uh, 
drawn upon by the Vrindavan Goswamis. Rasovaisa. Brahman is rasa. Rasa means taste. Hmm? And if you know Brahman as rasa, it goes on, then you will taste also. Hmm? Tasting. Rasoham mapsukontaya. Krishna says in the Gita, I am taste. So, for tasting, the implication is there need to be two. Hmm? For rasa, for Brahman to be rasa, we have to have some type of duad, diad, diad, hmm? of two. Hmm? Here the two are one, and the two are different. This verse of Rupa, of, of, of Srubhadamana that Krishnadas is using in his book that I'm citing is the philosophical ground, hmm? if you will, that uh, this Leela of Radha and Krishna is played out on. It's, it's a verse that speaks to us about the doctrine, if you will, of a chintya beta beta, that is a term coined by Jiva Goswami, inconceivable unity and, 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 and diversity, oneness and difference, imminence and transcendence is the nature of, of, of being, the nature of the absolute, and by extension, all being. It's a very interesting concept. But in this text of Chaitanya Charitamrita, this verse is one of two verses that speak about the internal reasons for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent. And this is a philosophical verse that gives us some ground to put a foot on, so to speak, get a foothold to step up from there into the next verse, which is, a, which is, is so uh, pregnant with bhava, with ecstasy, there we find the highest theological questions hmm, that have ever been asked in the world. And who's asking them? Well, God is asking them. Hmm? You know, we have theological questions about the nature of God, whether God exists, or the nature of God hmm, from our side. Here, in this book, God is asking theological questions about the nature of his being and existence. Hmm? He has three questions in particular hmm, that he asks. And, and the fact that they're coming from, from his own mouth is very extraordinary. He's in somewhat of an existential crisis. Hmm? So this is a very extraordinary theological idea. Hmm? God in existential crisis. What is it about me that makes her hmm, the way she is? Hmm? Her is Radha, of course. So we'll get to that, but I want to make the point here that this is a, this is like the ground of our uh, um, the canvas, as I often say, in which the art of this lila and the feeling, the bhava is in lila, is played out. And so it's appropriate where it comes in the text, the first of two verses describing the internal reasons for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent, which takes us to the very uh, central point of the Rasalila. Hmm? The centralmost point of the deepest point of Krishna Lila in the Bhagavatam, there we find Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And we go deep into Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we find ourselves in Radha Krishna Lila. Hmm? Yes. Which comes first? We will say, first the giver, then the gift. Therefore, we preface our discussion of, Chaitanya, of Radha and Krishna with some glorification of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the giver. Hmm? Uh, but they're complementary. Hmm? They're like, as I say, like a 
two leelas like a reversible jacket. You know, you've got a black jacket with gold cuffs, and you turn it around, it's, got a, it's a gold jacket with black cuffs. You know? Krishna as the Vishaya Lambana, the object of love, and Krishna putting himself in the position of, of the lover, hmm? as Radha, the vessel of love, and trying to understand himself from that perspective. Hmm? Krishna goes into like an auto-psychoanalysis in the next verse about, him, about himself. Hmm? So it's so lofty that it's good that we have this ground here to get a foothold on philosophically, hmm? that there's some reason to the rhyme and, and madness of the idea that God is having an existential crisis. Hmm? So here the verse says what? Radha Krishna Pranay Vikriti Rasma. Radha is the transformation of Krishna's love. Hmm? And the two are one and different. What does it mean? It means that Krishna has love. Hmm? Hmm? Just like, to give an example, we have in material speaking, we have mass and we have energy. Hmm? So mass and energy, they are equal in proportion to one another. Hmm? This is a little physics, right? So the equation between mass and energy is that they are of equal proportion. Mass, mass and energy. And, and, and then, if you, then you, have, you have also um, like resting mass and resting energy hmm? when, when there's no movement from the point of view of the observer of a, of a, of a, of a body or whatever, a thing, a, a body. It's a system. Systems are composed of mass and energy and they may move from the perspective of the observer. Hmm? But when they're resting... Hmm? The mass and energy, they equally complement one another. But when there's movement, the energy in the state of motion exceeds the, its measure in a state of rest. Hmm? So, Krishna has Swarup Shakti. Hmm? He's the source of all Shakti. So this Shakti, that Swarup Shakti is inherent in him. Hmm? But when it comes outside of him, so to speak, and takes a shape, hmm, then it exceeds its measure hmm, when found uh, with, within him. Hmm? And that manifestation of energy, we you know, probably use the term energy, and appropriately so, Krishna is kind of like a mass of consciousness, and mass has energy. All things that exist do something. They have some power by which they make themselves known or they do something. Hmm? It means mass has energy. Energy is by which things are done. Hmm? Everything's accomplished. Right? Hmm? So this energy is inherent, or shakti, to use the Sanskrit term, is inherent in the shaktiman, hmm? the energetic. Hmm? But its position is more is enhanced and more full when it manifests in apparent difference, an apparent difference. It's not really different because it it it's it's part of him, but it's manifesting before him, taking a shape before him, and this enhances the position of the shakti of the energy. Therefore, the swarup ananda, the ananda. Here we're referring to the Ladini Shakti, 
that Radha is the embodiment of the ecstasy, the love potency, the love shakti of Krishna. It's inherent in him, but in that condition it's called Swarupananda. It's the Swarup, it's the Ananda of his Swarup. Hmm. But when it manifests by way of transformation hmm, and becomes the and and the and the, the and Krishna has now an object to repose his love in. <clears throat> that we call Swarup Shakti Ananda. So the Ananda, the Ladini, Swarup Shakti Ananda, it exceeds in measure the Swarup Ananda of Krishna. So it gives pleasure to Krishna in such a way that when inherent or dormant, so to speak, within Krishna, lying in rest, it cannot. Hmm? So the position of Radha is very significant then to the Absolute because it makes, as I say and often, his life go round. Hmm? Just like energy has uh, power and uh, things happen, mass, systems move and whatever, do things because of energy, because of Shakti. So now we take it to the in the realm of subjectivity, supersubjectivity, in the realm of consciousness, a mass of consciousness. Hmm? And he has energy. Hmm? And now, because he's such a sankalp, anything he wants happens. He wants to love. So, what is the Upanishadic statement? That saikshita, hmm? uh, the one becomes eko, 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 bahu, Hmm? The one becomes many. Hmm? We think about it often in relation to Mahavishnu. The one becomes many. Lokavatulilakaivalyam in the world it manifests because there are so many jivas. Hmm? But here it applies to the supersubjective realm. The one becomes many. Ekobahusham. One becomes many. And not, we say, well, many? Only one, Radha. No, as I said earlier. Hmm? There's one Krishna but thousands and millions of Radhas. Hmm? Radha's expanding herself as every other gopi and into every heart of every devotee. In every devotee, there's a little bit of Radha. Hmm? She's, again, Bhakti Devi, the queen of Bhakti. Without Radha, there's no, there's no Bhakta. Hmm? There's no devotee. Hmm? And there's no devotion. One Krishna and millions and millions of ways within certain philosophical parameters to serve him and please him, satisfy him. Hmm? And, and, and this flow, if you will, expansion of the Shakti, this is Radha. So just, I'm going to say to you, just as mass has energy and uh, things that exist do something and they do some, something by their energy and so forth, in the same way there's a reason, if you will, for a Radha. Hmm? Uh, there's a reason for Krishna, for God, and there's a reason for Radha. There's not, it's, in this sense, there's not much of a reason, because what does it mean? These two, Radha and Krishna, they are one. Another, another, another way to speak about it is this. Krishna is, is a body and Radha is his soul. So, you have the two. Hmm? Hmm? And his soul manifests before him. Hmm? What a wonderful thing. <laughs> and, to, and so the interrelation now between these two is, is a kind of a, a, what we call love. Hmm? So 
reality is this interplay of love, which, well, love knows no reason. So we wanted a reason, but we don't, we don't really have one, <laughs> because reality exists for love. You know, the, you have the theological or philosophical question, why is there something rather than nothing? Hmm? We have our answer, we say, because there is love. That doesn't like what, but yeah, love that defies reason. Hmm? So we say reality is this is is love, and certainly is our reality. It's what we pursue, hmm? knowingly or unknowingly. We want to be loved, and and we have some capacity to love. And as much as we exercise it, really in the full sense of the term, then we we'll, we feel the reciprocity, reciprocity that love is. Uh, 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 involves. Hmm? So, here we have Krishna and Radha, the two. They're one and they're different at the same time. If they were entirely one, hmm? well, if they were entirely different, hmm? then there would be something that's different from God. We have a pan-entheistic uh, worldview, metaphysical view. It just happens to be a very sexy thing these days. We've been at it for a long, long time. <laughs> but uh, the problems with classical uh, um, theology in Christianity, for example, in the Western thought, where God is different from the world, and you've got to keep him different because the world's bad, and God's good, and you've got to make sure he's not uh, tainted by the badness of the world. Hmm? its problems, its temporality, its evil, and so on. Separate them out. This is, of course, it's problematic. It's, it, in one sense, it gave birth to the environmental crisis that we experienced today, centuries ago, and it's starting to be a problem for a number of thoughtful Christian theologians in that it's not working that well, given various scientific findings as to the nature of matter and how it works and so forth. So, there's quite a group now of Christian theologians who are who are advocating um, a panentheistic perspective on Christianity. We have on one hand you have theism, classical theism. There's God over here, and then there's the world over here. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got pantheism, which is popular in some forms of uh, in, in the East. Hmm? And God is the world. Hmm? God is the world. Or God's over here and the world's here. So when you have God over here and the world here, you've got God as a tangible entity. Hmm? But you've got the world as separate, and it brings up problems. Hmm? How does the indi- something that's completely different from the world interact with the world hmm? and have causal influence, efficacy, and so forth? It's a big problem. On the other side, if God is the world, then where did he go? <laughs> I mean, okay, it's kind of vague, and it's uh, and you lose the person of the Godhood, the Godhead. Hmm? So there's a trade-off, right? If you have pantheism, uh, you you lose the person of the God, but your your world starts to have more meaning and value. Hmm? You have God as a person different from the world. The world has no value. Hmm? Starts to lose its value, but you got the person, a lovable person, hopefully. But in panentheism, then you have the best of both. 
pan, not pantheism, but panentheism. So you have God is the world and God is at the same time more than the world. Panentheism. Pan, n, n is a small word, but it's a big thing. God uh, not is the world, but in the world. Hmm? He's in it and beyond it at the same time. Hmm? And this is, of course, a modern Western term, but it does speak to us, um, give us a kind of a, a Western hook or something to grab onto that uh, help us explain in Western language, philosophical, theological language, what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's doctrine is about. And it's very much about the fact that there's Radha and Krishna. So the world is not in... T- uh, the the, the, hmm, the um, God and God's power, if you will, are not um, completely different Otherwise, you have some some competitor with God, hmm? uh, and neither are they entirely one because they're entirely one. There's nothing to talk about power and powerful. There's, there's nothing to be said about it. Hmm? But there is something to be said about it. There is something to be said about the fact that fire has heat and light, and it has sparks and smoke. Hmm? Worlds like smoke. How does the fire move the smoke? Well. Smoke comes out of fire. It just happens. Hmm? It kind of moves in relation to fire and kind of independent. Then there are sparks that come out of the fire. So in this example, of course, smoke is the maya shakti. The sparks are ourselves. We have light. Hmm? We can't do much unto ourselves, though. We can't cook with a spark or get warm. Hmm? But it's light. Hmm? And then you have heat and light. Heat and light is, a, is an energy also of the fire. But it's so close to the fire, it's almost hard to think of it separately, but it is. This is how Radha is, and the Sarup Shakti is one with the fire and different. The smoke is more different than one. But it's one because you can't have fire, smoke without fire. It's entirely dependent upon the fire. Hmm? Similarly with the sparks. They're completely dependent on the fire. In that sense, they're one, and they're also one because they have kind of like, to a minute degree, the same quality. You can get, ooh, a little burn from that if you touch the spark. Hmm? A, little, a little light in the night. Hmm? It would look like something. <laughs> give it a black contrast. Hmm? And you have heat and light. And we think, well, what is fire without heat and light? You could say, what is fire without sparks, without smoke? I mean, you could kind of go with that, but without heat and light, there's fire. Hmm? So Radha is like this. Actually, this 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 Srup Shakti of its Samvit and Ladini are like the heat and light. The light is the Samvit. Light means knowing. Hmm? Samvit, so knowing. And Ladini means feeling. Hmm? Bliss, love, heat is feeling. So the fire has light and heat. Hmm? This is Krishna's Srup Shakti. We're focusing on the heat here. This is Radha, the Ladini Shakti. But Ladini Shakti means also, she present, she's Shakti, what did we hear this morning? Shakti Man, what is the term he used? And, 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 and Shakti? Anyway, Parama or Supreme. So the, the, the fountainhead of all avatars and the fountainhead of all Shakti manifestations. So all aspects of Shakti within Radha, we just emphasize the Ladini Shakti because 
this loving, hmm, knowing and being kind of have their fullest meaning and um, in, in relation to loving. In other words, um, the nature of your existence and your knowledge is thought to be um, most improved. If you, if you have a loving existence, in love, it doesn't matter where you live. You could live, in, as I say, in a, in a hole of a hollow of a redwood, and, and it looks meager, but it's big because it's a loving one. Hmm? And the knowing is big there. You don't even have to know. There's so much going on, but you don't have to know about it. So how much do you know then? Hmm? When you love, you don't have to know about so many things. Hmm? So there's knowing, you see, in love. So a loving, ex- loving existence is the biggest existence. Vrindavan looks small, like a little village, but it's big. Mm-hmm. Big because of its affection. Mm-hmm. And, it's, it, it, and, and they know everything there. They know everything? All they do is take care of cows. And, you know, they're like uneducated people. You're saying they know everything? Yeah, they know everything. They're, they, because what they're doing is service. Mm-hmm. And it's illuminating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is the end of knowing. Mm-hmm. And they don't... They are not... They, they, we know that they know because we see that they're not interested in anything else. Hmm? Imagine if Krishna's guru in Dwarka came to you and started giving a course on the, on the scriptures. You think, wow, man, this is a good class. I'm interested. Hmm? Well, when Uddhava came to Vrindavan to school the gopis in philosophy, they like, this what? Yeah, you have no ear for this. No interest in this. You're boring us to death. Hmm? What a, and he, he, he was smart, so he thought, what they know, that's something extraordinary. Hmm? What they know, it said that he walked around for two months in kind of a daze after meeting with the gopis in Vrindavan, just kind of singing poetry. It's beyond the Shruti, beyond the Upanishads. What is this place? What is Vrindavan? Hmm? Vrindavan Ishwari, Radhe, Kijai. Hmm? Is her love. Hmm? So, I give some idea that there, there's a necessity for a Radha, a philosophical necessity. And also this idea that there's, the absolute is this, is this loving union between power and the powerful. Hmm? The powerful Krishna and the power, Radha and the, the, the loving union between them. This, um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a good kind of, as I say, reason for why something exists. For love. It exists for love. Real, there is something because of love. <laughs> um, and it also helps to explain why we exist and why the world exists. We're talking about the super-subjective world, and, we're ta- and then there's this world, and then our, our place in it. Hmm? Because the full face of love, of course, requires compassion, and so here we are. We're in need of compassion. Hmm? And so there's a world, and it's a side, a lower end of love. It's big from our perspective, obviously. Hmm? So, in this way, we have some philosophical kind of ground to make our cry, our celebratory cry 
what is it? Jai Radhe. This is the Gaudiya theme song. Jai Radhe, Jai Radhe. Victory to Radha. Hmm? Uh, she is making Brahman, who is everywhere and can't move, as I often say, because if you're everywhere, there's nowhere to go. Hmm? He's omnipresent and omniscient. He's everywhere and he knows everything. So he's really doubly hindered. Hmm? <laughs> he's everywhere, so he can't go anywhere. That sounds boring. Hmm? And he and you know, it's the journey that's exciting. Yeah. Isn't it? And you think, I'm gonna go to India. We're gonna go, we're gonna go, you know, pack it up, we're gonna get on a plane, we're gonna get and then you get there and it's okay too. But <laughs> but the, we're gonna go back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh yeah, so he can't go anywhere, and he knows everything. So even if he could go anywhere, he already knows where he's going to go. So it's a problem. I already know what's going to happen. Takes the impetus out of, of doing anything. So he's doubly hindered, this Brahman, hmm? by knowing. Even though we may think knowing everything that'd be great, being everywhere at once that would be great. Hmm? For Brahman, it's a problem. But he who is everywhere and knows everything can't move starts to move by the influence. In, in Brahman, you see, rasa is, is, is unmanifest. Srup shakti is dormant. Hmm? Hmm? And the more we move up the theological ladder towards Narayan, his avatars, Ram, and ultimately Krishna, this, this, this shakti, bhakti, is the constitute of Krishna, srup shakti, is more active, more manifest. Therefore, when we get to the Braj Leela, there's no sleeping. Hmm? There's no sleeping. They're constantly busy, right? Taking care of cows, and then when the cows go to sleep, meet with Krishna in the night, when nobody else can see, and everybody else is dreaming, I hope Radha meets with Krishna. If they're not, I wish they would. It's not possible. Hmm? She can't marry him for various reasons. His astrological chart says when he gets to be about 11 or 12, he's going to leave hmm? the Braj. And become a metropolitan prince. Hmm? So we can't marry the girls to him. But who else would we marry? Do we dream about it? And then in Vatsali Rasa, they dream about it. Hmm? Oh, that my, my son, my daughter, the king's daughter of Brishabhanu Maharaj, the king Nanda Maharaj's son, this is, this is how they think. Just like village people, they think, who's he going to marry? <laughs> who's she going to marry? Let's, let's, you know bring them together, and <laughs> that's matchmaking type of thing. This is, this is the Gramikata of village talk, gossip of Vrindavan. This, is, this, is, this gossip of, the, of Vrindavan, Rana, I think she was with Krishna. No, it couldn't be. She's a good girl. No, no. This, this Gramikata, this is so much more pleasing to Krishna than the Upanishads. Tattvamasi, Ahambramasmi, Mahaprabhu said, Oh, the sounds of the Upanishad, they're very far from where you can arrive at with Harikata. But Harikata, Kampashru Pulakadaya. All these transformations of ecstasy. We talk about Astasatpabhikar. You study Bhakti Rasamrita, you see all the examples of this. They're all occurring in the Swarup, in the spiritual body of the devotee in the context of Leela. It's a world of ecstasy, a whole realm of ecstasy. 
Again, it's Chaitanya Charita Amrita. We have a potential to enter there. The immortal character in ecstasy of consciousness. We're a unit of that. We have a prospect. It's come to us through Chaitanya Vaishnavism, this prospect. Hang on. So there, this village talk, hmm? this is like nectar to Krishna's ears hmm? and to the Rasika devotees. This, they, 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 somebody comes to talk about the Upanishad. They, nobody's going to show up for that class. Hmm? Yeah. Let's go to the village and preach, you know. Yeah, nobody shows up. Nobody goes. They come. They're just uneducated people. Hmm? But what they're talking about, coward boy, trying to arrange secretly for Krishna to meet with Radha, hmm? dreaming about it, hmm? But Sali Rasa says it's the dream. Nanda Maharaj wants his son to marry Radha. Rishabhanu Maharaj wants his daughter to, to marry, marry Krishna. Hmm? But oh, it's not possible. Hmm? But it's going on and everybody knows about it, but nobody, you know, <laughs> so, but nobody can talk about it. It's, so it's, it's, it's a very charming, beautiful, this is Paraki, a very beautiful affair, very secret even within the Braj, it's a, it, the Braj places a secret. Brahma said, this is a very, very rare few people know about this place. And within Swetadweep, this is a secret. That Param Purusha, Krishna, Param Brahman, is, is, he, he, he is known as a dancer. Nietzsche said, if there was a God, he'd be a dancer. Hmm? He is. He's a dancer, Krishna. But his guru in dancing, Amishisha Guru Nata, Radhikar Premera Unmata, my teacher in Nata, in, in art, in dance, in drama, hmm? where rasas come from, where, where, you, where you can, in dance, in drama, in arts, in poetry, you can be transported be, beyond where you are and enter into the emotions that are that's what the drama's about, right? To bring out different feeling and emotion. If it's really good you fell in love with her yourself or him or you were there fighting and you know, it was almost gonna you were gonna die and you you are not in the seat in the movie anymore. You're you're there. It has this beyond extra taking you beyond the limits of your present limiting existence. This idea of, of, of rasa. So, uh, um, to hear that it be transported there. Uh, um, I mean, uh, of course, it's his yoga system. So it's 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 not just listening to poetry, right? Uh, that's the central part of it. Uh, to hear all these things. Mm. So there, this this uh, this this in this realm where Krishna is the Parama Purusha, the Supreme Brahman, and he is, well, in a beautiful form, and he's human-like, and he's a dancer, but he says, Ami Shisha Guru Nata. I am actually the Shisha. I am the disciple, and her dancing is my teacher, is my guru. She is the te- my teacher in the arts, hmm? in, in music, in, in song. She is really the Kirtan of Krishna. She is 
really, Radha is the kirtan of Krishna. Hmm? She's Radha Krishna Pranai, Bhikkhuti Ladini Shakaratma, the transformation. And then she's only singing about him. Hmm? There he is, singing about himself in the form of Radha, glorifying him in every way. From her, hmm? singing, dancing. This is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is. Hmm? In kirtan. Hmm? It's, again, as we said earlier, it comes, this is its source. This is its genesis. It comes from, the, from this realm. And it plays out in the Gaur Lila, Chaitanya Lila, in a particular way. But Golokeru Premodan Harinam Sankirtan. Radikar Premera Unmata. Her love drives me mad. Hmm? This is my position. So, Brindaban Ishwari. She is the, the Ishwar, Ishwari, feminine of Vrindavan. She's in, in charge there. The, the, the supreme position of bhakti. This is the idea. Hmm? By which not only is maya dispelled, but Krishna himself is overwhelmed. Hmm? And indeed, Krishna is God overwhelmed. That's what the Krishna means. God overwhelmed by bhakti. Hmm? To the fullest measure. And therefore, he is just like a son. If, it, if, the, if, the, if, the, if the bhakti is vatsalya bhakti, sakirasa, like a friend, like a lover. Hmm? And all the human characteristics manifest in him. Fully, all this all happening to Brahman by the power of bhakti that Radha is the full, full face of. Hmm? So she's important. Hmm? Important and beautiful and so beautiful that she takes always... We were saying something that she's always hiding from. Hmm? Right? She never comes out and says, I'm the Shakti. (laughs) (laughs) That's not her nature like that. She'd be a little little pushy with Krishna at times. It's appropriate. He he likes that. When 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 the parent mood of jealousy and so forth, which is uh, uh, part of spicing up the whole of, of, of rasa hmm? with competitors and so forth and, and so on. But she is hmm, in the background, right? She, she wants... Krishna's in the front. We, Krishna Janamastami, everybody celebrates, right? Oh, all the Hindus, everybody, Krishna Janamastami, and so on, <laughs> right? Hmm? But who celebrates Radhastami? Hmm? And you know what? If you don't celebrate Radhastami, you haven't celebrated Janamastami. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> hmm? Hmm? Yes. Hmm? This is the secret of the Godias. Without celebrating Radhastami, Janamastami is not perfectly complete. It's two weeks after it. Eight days of the waxing, waning, waning moon, Krishna appears. Eight days into the waxing moon, two weeks later, hmm? This is the appearance of Radha. And she appears, as I said the other day, on the day in Krishna's astrological chart. This is the most auspicious day in his chart. Hmm? Oh, the story of her appearance. I was going to tell a story, but we've gone a little, <laughs> a little too far. <laughs> I got there's so many nice stories from the, from the uh, Puranas. I wanted to tell one of Rupa Goswami's about mountains, daughters of mountains. and uh, we, we, Maybe we'll get together. In the evening, some of you may still be here, and we can discuss some of those beautiful leelas. 
Sri ki jai, Radastami Mahamotsavatiti ki jai, Sri Sri Radha ki jai, Gauranga Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Sri Gaurnatananda ki jai, Gauri Vashnam Guru Parampara ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Brinda ki jai, Gaur Premanande, Gaur.